All right, do your intro again, just in case you need to like just scrap this whole first 10 minutes. All right. This is the podcast Conversations About Animation. I'm Philip Elke. Today, joined by Jody Pulaski. Welcome, Jody. You're joining me from Georgia. I'm up here in northern Minnesota. Uh, yeah, we've been talking about some fun, nostalgic trips down memory lane, the deaths of various uh, relics from, from the 80s. Slow and painful, you know, Disney store, all that kind of thing. Yeah, we were talking about that nostalgia and the changing of the malls and how sometimes those things get like a second wind, a second life force, like Toys R Us kids, they're bringing it all back again. Tron, they they brought it back again. You even have a hat from Shop Disney. So there's merch again. Um, and it's kind of fun to see what comes in and out. Yeah, I I uh, I love this film. It's uh, It's got a very special place in my heart. I love both Tron films, but I know this one in particular really struck me as an experience. Uh, I saw it when it came out in theaters in 2010. Um, I mean, I wasn't born in the 1980s, but there's still a certain profound sense of nostalgia, I, I feel, for some of that the content from that era, some of the artifacts <laughs> you could say like like shopping malls if they're still maintained properly uh and some are <laughs> the one in in the town in which i live is not <laughs> but oh well i'll i've popped my head in recently and eh, there's a little bit of uh a buzz they, they have a jc penny that's doing all right i think <laughs> there's some spark yeah keeping it alive i mean i also i wasn't from the 80s but we talked about it here on the podcast not too long ago so that one's still sort of fresh in my mind and i love movies from that time period i don't know there's something just really like comforting about it the clothes the music the the, the toys they play with it all just seems so like simple like a simpler time kind of like a cozy Christmas hug back from like the 90s you know when when life just seemed simpler um so I was excited to watch this I didn't see it when it first came out the way you did but like we were talking about before when it first came out it had it was 3D and obviously it was in the theaters I just saw it on Disney plus um more recently now but there's been more and more buzz about Tron because this year Walt Disney World opened up their latest roller coaster which is based around the Tron movie and um, people are super excited anytime there's a new ride, of course, down there. Um, so I was kind of excited to see this movie so that, that when I do ride the ride, I'll have more of appreciation for the theming. Um, and watching this movie got me really excited. The The colors, the music, I, I mean, I think the plot was lacking, but I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, this new attraction is called Tron Light Cycle Run. There's already a version of it in other parks around the world. Shanghai, I think, might be the only place that currently has it besides the uh, uh, Magic Kingdom in Orlando. Uh, set next to Space Mountain in Tomorrowland, the future forward attraction captures the spirit of the groundbreaking 1982 film Tron and its sequel Tron Legacy from 2010 and is sure to amaze the franchise's fans and those newly introduced to the world uh, in equal measure. Cutting-edge technology from Walt Disney Imagineering fuels the experience. Uh -huh. Yeah, so. it's quite the thrill. I mean, I read that it goes 60 miles an hour, which is fast for a Disney ride. I mean, uh, anyone who's been there before, a lot of those rides, they're family-friendly, so they're sort of geared, you know, something that a 10-year-old would enjoy and a uh, 30 year old would enjoy and a six year old would enjoy but this one looks more like the real deal of a roller coaster which is perfect because you want to match that intensity that you see in the movie one thing I really loved was those light racers is that what you call their motorcycles and the discs that they light cycles and, and the jets that they're able to make it just looks awesome like you want to jump into the Tron movie and experience sort of the rush of these weapons and tools and vehicles that they have uh this is interesting this is from the article in the disney 23 magazine by allison's statement uh the story behind tron light cycle run i guess takes place after the events of tron legacy 
So that's cool. Some connectivity. I mean, that's mainly what I'm concerned about is how does this connect to the broader franchise? And uh, it's the story continuing. I mean, I guess you have Sam. More or less Sam Flynn, son of computer genius Kevin Flynn and Quora, the isomorphic algorithm he rescued and brought back to the real world are now creating permanent gateways to promote and support more contact between programs and users, a.k.a. humans. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know if there's more context than that. Uh, the fascinating, it doesn't really spoil much from the film that we're talking about today. I mean, we'll be going into all manner of details, uh, plot details and such, <laughs> but that's uh, exciting. I mean, I've been wanting a, yeah. <laughs> a sequel. So since... I'm guessing yeah. they're referring to portals. I mean, in the movie that tron legacy it seems like there's really only one portal and it's hidden behind this old video game machine this old tron machine from the 80s and and that's sort of i i assumed the one and only way to access this digitalization that happens to you that can whip you into this other world so maybe this there's more or they're creating more spots like that so that's a fascinating aspect that was occupying a bit too much of my attention. I mean, I I was totally involved in this movie, rewatching again for this. Uh, but the, the whole notion of uh, programs coming into our reality um, is sort of a mystery, and it's like the race against the clock peril that they're facing at the end of the film. But like, mm-hmm. what really happens if this giant ship hits the the portal? are there is there a whole army of programs that's just going to invade our reality from i could i guess kind of see how like they're harnessing the entire power grid of the the globe because they do have that little globe that appears in the hologram do you remember that yeah when like a grid yeah midway through when clue who's sort of i mean he is the villain of this movie he's sort of the antagonist but Clue reveals this massive plan to essentially take over the world, very like pinky in the brain. He shows this globe and it's like, we're going to go from coast to coast. I'm paraphrasing here, but he's like, coast to coast, we're going to, you know, infiltrate the entire thing and make a more perfect world because we have a plan and this is the plan. But it was a little bit like above me how that was actually going to happen. So I just went with it because I've only watched it once and I had to just... I just had to believe Clue in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this grid, at least the um, information component of it is isolated from the rest of the like the World Wide Web. Essentially, the only way they were able to communicate with the outside world was by sending a a primitive page at first. And then once uh sam arrives the the portal opens temporarily because uh he arrived through the aperture of the the laser that zaps you (laughs) um but that laser is not going to spit out a whole army of programs coming out the other side i mean maybe clue could come in and then he could do something to wreak havoc and then that sets the whole plan in motion so maybe that would be uh, the threat but also, it could be like some kind of weird, like uh, crazy surge of electricity. They're able to generate uh, an energy storm, harnessing the power of the entire electricity grid of, of the United States. And like there's a big sky beam and then a portal opens. I mean, kind of sky's the limit as to what kind of crazy, um, you know, plot device they would use to transport this you know mothership from the grid of of tron to the real world so that the programs can take over it'd be kind of funny it it would be kind of funny and i mean i'm sure they with all their tools the way they can literally make a jet out of a pole they'd, they'd find a way but i was wondering like what would be the motivation for leaving this really cool place that they live i mean i wanted more of an understanding of the world building because I couldn't really get if there were civilians because they really do focus on you know the the main characters and then this military that's been built up and you do see a few other people like 
in a bar that are supposed to be, I guess, followers, the people in the white suits, they refer to them as believers online. But I was like, do they have like cities and towns and children and schools? Like, I'm kind of wondering like how deep does this world go? Because if they don't have that stuff, there's really no use for them to come to the to our world, you know? I, 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 wish, I wish you could kind of see a little bit more of that. I mean, you see, they have homes, you see, um, Flynn's home I mean he has this ultimate bachelor pad he left his child at age like seven and he ends up stuck in in Tron but he's sort of living his best life he has this beautiful Cora <laughs> hanging out with him he has this beautiful apartment I was like man I wouldn't want to leave either but if they came to earth I would wonder yeah like why like why why you know yeah it's I mean it's kind of a sad premise just in abstract of a person leaving their life to go live in a virtual reality but when you actually hear about how it came into being you you kind of understand a lot more like the the appeal of what drew jeff bridge you know kevin flynn to this world more than he's just kind of a, a slob who you know doesn't want to deal with reality i mean he had a wife who died so that helped kind of drive him <laughs> yeah that helps work uh you know but you know this fascinating world where you're able to uh enter the world of the computer uh and it's a whole other reality but and then there are various wonders that appear um and he's able to learn about kind of the fundamental essence of reality through the course of his work within the grid so it's like there there are a lot of really cool metaphysical things that that are just why i i love these films so much um th there really is a lot of fun commentary about philosophy and religion and uh human nature <laughs> it's it, this is kind of following up on our theme from some of our previous episodes right the oppenheimer barbie asteroid city the very existential topics <laughs> yeah i had written that down sort of when we hop into one of these movies and i know we're going to discuss it i try to capture what i think the main themes are and i did i did write religion question mark and i you kind of see little little tiny hints at it too you know when he's looking at the apple on the table that chrome mm -hmm. apple and I'm like is he is this supposed to be like a reference to you know like the Adam and Eve the biting of the apple you start kind of like looking for the clues that could be tying into the theme but like him going there um, yeah the clues like is Flynn I mean he is sort of like a god in this world they refer to him as a deity so there is a lot of those religious aspects I mean there's there's I felt like there was a lot of themes with this you have the father son thing going on you have you know chaos versus organization you have the the sense of bad business the people who are running um ensom and oh, ncom yeah yeah, yeah that's a lot a of things going on a lot going on it, it doesn't really dwell too heavily on any one thing in particular but I, it's just such a vibe too with all like the music and the visual so like this movie it has it all for me i know there are people who wish it just kind of delivered more in what it's trying to say and i understand that but for me it it just totally works this it really gets me this movie you know from from when i even first saw it like my favorite ever opening logo for any film is the the tron castle from this film oh that was awesome when i was watching it I had I was walking just kind of slowly on my treadmill. And I was like, okay, I'm just gonna start it now, and that popped up on my screen. The the castle being illuminated with these colors of this blue, this iconic blue. And I was like, this is very cool. And I instantly wished I could hop back 13 years ago and see it in theaters because I think what you're saying with having that emotional response, I would have probably had more of that, especially if I was in the zone with with the music being really dynamic. You know that theater sound. Um, but it comes across even on a smaller screen. So I I mean, I would agree with the critiques out there that the plot is lacking and some of the acting is sort of like, in particular, I did not like Sam, the actor who played, <laughs> played Sam, but it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't ruin anything for me either. Like, do I feel like they could have had someone a little less like 
action boy Jack, like sure. But overall, like I, I thought the critiques that I read were a little too harsh on it because I think this is one like I would put on the must watch, especially if you're into Marvel or superhero or fantasy AI. I would think this is definitely one you should see. Yeah, yeah, great little bit of genre fiction. Uh, you know, speaking of genre, like the the whole eighties vibe. And, you know, I'm I was in a good mood today, and I was listening music on my Spotify, and like the song "Valerie" by Steve Winwood came up, and just the eighties synth. It's like getting into a warm bath. <laughs> you know, that hearing that just tickle your, you know, like the entirety of my spine was just uh, scintillating you know just the, the way that those instruments that you know the electronic music uh you know produce that effect um so i don't know i'm i'm just really i've been totally uh tron pilled <laughs> um but and and so i i love that aesthetic the 80s synth like i don't know and it's only getting worse i think as i get older and more uh, that's become... all right <laughs> yeah become more of a boomer no that's okay you're supposed to lean into things that make you feel that way i mean you're clearly not the only one when when they were talking about making this sequel which it took them quite a while what is it 30 years down the road 80s to, to 2010 uh but yeah yeah they had a big big budget so i mean what was it, 170 million dollars to make this movie um so you know they put a big bet on it like there, there's a lot of people out there who love that that energy that that vibe so you're not alone <laughs> yeah it was like kind of the first big bet from the current head of walt disney pictures uh jason bailey no ba it's not what's his first name bailey uh the producer uh so i was just reading and uh I, it totally vacated my mind. Um, but but yeah, the, the current president of Walt Disney, Sean, Sean Bailey. Uh, I mean, he's nobody knows who he is, but like this is now the guy who's overseen like all the live action remakes of Disney animated classics. And yeah, the Walt Disney live action um, branch of their filmmaking division is you know, overseen by this guy, Sean Bailey. And this was like his first movie as as head of the entire division. Um, and has gone on to do pretty incredible things, but also, you know, some pretty uh, not as celebrated things as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's a politically correct way to put it. Yeah, some questionable things. And I mean, he picked a fairly new um, director for it too, Joseph Kaczynski. I hadn't realized did um, Top Gun Maverick not so much longer later. I mean, he's gone on to do big things, but this Tron Legacy was really his debut, which again, that's another risk. I mean, a $170 million movie handed to this director who's fairly, you know, mm -hmm. fresh. Yeah, the, the biggest movie ever, you know, at least as of, last year the and the way that film generated such an organic momentum as it you know proceeded through the summer and i i mean this year we've got the same phenomenon with barbie and, and to a lesser extent oppenheimer um but yeah just such an outlier with uh, top gun and and just such a visual spectacle as well coming from you know the collaborative visions of Tom Cruise and the the director of Tron Legacy, Joseph Kaczynski, uh, who would go on to do a couple other things. Um, the, the movie Oblivion with Tom Cruise was also Joseph Kaczynski. Um, yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, but I, I know when I pulled him up earlier on IMBD, it seems like his list is steadily growing with these projects. Um, and Tron probably kicked that off for him. I mean, it did kick that off for him. And I think it's good. I mean, he pulled together a very, in my opinion, seamless movie. Again, like you can go back to those critiques about the plot, but everything melds together really, really well throughout the whole thing. I never felt like something was random or like disjointed. And maybe that's because I've seen it once and I wasn't seeking out any flaws, but the visuals, the music, all of it sort of flowed from beginning to end for me. And that doesn't always happen in these movies where you have 
action because sometimes I feel like the action can pull me out of it personally, like these action scenes, but yeah. I feel like everything really flowed. It's very economical. Um, not, not a lot of, I mean, it is uh, right around the two hour time frame uh, in terms of runtime. Um, yeah, not, not a lot of complaints as far as um, decisions to, uh, you know, with the editing, uh, there's like there was one moment I thought was kind of a bummer where like they cut away from Sam taking out some henchmen before he gets to Clue's like main throne room. Uh, but it's like we've seen so many of these programs get murked at this point in this movie. Uh, we're not really missing much by just having it implied in this case. <laughs> one thing I will say about them getting, you know, attacked and Sam going after them. It is sort of funny to me when you have these people who have these crazy futuristic weapons and can like take you down with one little zap or like disc and then they get beat by a kick to the chest. <laughs> like there was a lot of moments where Sam would just and Cora, they would just kick them and then problem solved. And I was like, all right, come certain, on. <laughs> certain programs have more gigabytes. Well, no, not not even gigabytes. They're probably only a few. You know, some of them are probably only a few bits compared to uh, the users, and then the more complex programs, which are you know perhaps you know me several mega, if not gigabytes, in you know if That's you think about it in computer terms, I guess. Okay, that that makes me feel a little bit better because I was like, wait a minute, they're kicking these people over like dominoes. I didn't know yeah. if maybe, does not everybody have yeah like a full disk or like a full memory load. They're not able to be as educated or so, yeah that that would that would answer the question for me but speaking of those discs that are in their back can you clarify is is that their memory is that their conscious is that their soul like these discs when they steal flynn's that's a good question and, and yeah you were asking all these questions about the world trying a lot of that has been fleshed out through other media um there's a great animated series called tron uprising oh really you know, it clarifies, you know, there are multiple cities like this is a, a fairly fleshed out world. Um, you know, th this grid created by Kevin Flynn specifically to, you know, kind of govern with Tron and Clue. You know, you mentioned the, the creation story. I, I wanted to, you know, hit the point about uh, Flynn's creation of Clue. This is simple. He, he just pulled up like a a copy paste uh, function, you know, created a uh, a mirror essentially in the ground, and then it was a, a copy of himself. And hey, there you have Clue. Uh, and he created him so that he could sort of continue living his real world life and have the work still being done within this virtual. Well, not yeah. not virtual reality world. I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, yeah, world. essentially virtual reality. Yeah. 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 I mean, yep. <laughs> and he greets him with a hug. He's like, "We're gonna make it perfect." And then, like an hour later, he's like, "I didn't actually know what perfection was." It's like, oh, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Yeah. The human uh, flaw. The, the clue program ended up not being quite as you know fully formed as perhaps the the human Kevin Flynn. Uh, but yeah, like, and certain programs are more powerful than others, you know, Tron, you know, they're able to withstand more abuse. Um, but like the, yeah, there are re denizens of this world in the various cities and, and Zeus, you know, he wanted to be the, the ruler or the governor. Yeah, he, he wanted that one city. Zeus was a good time character. You meet him really, <laughs> I mean, he's not in this movie for very long, but he stood out to me. I mean, he's sort of like, he is the 80s. He's running this like club and like, he has sort of like a, not not Led Zeppelin vibe. He has like a, and but David like a rock Bowie star. Or, yes, yeah. that's exactly what it. Yes, a David Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, Ziggy Stardust, basically. Yes, and I, I thought that was really fun and I couldn't tell right away, is he good, is he bad? Um, but he was wearing white and that again had thrown me off so i'm excited to hear that there's a way to go and find out some of the answers to these questions because i bet you'd be able to find out more about zeus because mm -hmm. he's a big character he works kind of hand in hand with clue and 
I don't know how he's yeah. become so powerful if he was someone else before or what that is, but yeah, yeah. The and there's like the whole seemingly color coded morality system, but that doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. Uh, uh, Flynn in the first movie goes from like blue to red to blue, you know, <laughs> kind of it's funny how things just kind of bleed you know into each other um in that in that original film and some of the color coding is is opposite to what it is in uh you know in this one but of course it, it is such a an evolution a departure from that classic early 80s computer aesthetic to now this you know so much more advanced uh cgi world um just so it's hard to even compare the two sure. visual styles but they do complement each other in in my mind like this is, this does feel like a natural progression of that world that was established back in 1982 as much as this is like a legacy sequel a reboot if you will um it it does function as a proper sequel uh, and and there were there has been talk of a, another sequel and it was officially green lit at one point, Tron 3, but then after Tomorrowland um, bombed at the box office, the Brad Bird live action film with George Clooney, they they officially canceled Tron 3. So really big bummer there. Give it another 20 years. We'll see it pop back up again. <laughs> Probably. They'll run out point. of ideas eventually. <laughs> um, the one thing I was thinking, and you might know the answer to this too, because you're saying how to you, it seems like a natural progression within this world. Like it does mm -hmm. seem like a fairly normal step from the original. The, to this. the music too is another um, example of of that evolution. I think that complements yeah. the visual. It yeah. really fills out, but it's still honoring that. I mean, it's the same sound, but it's it's more so. Mm -hmm. the The question I had though was, you know how in early when Sam is kind of re reintroduced to his father, he says like a minute in our world is in, like an hour here. I was wondering, do they ever touch on the fact that he's not like 995 years old because of this time difference? Or do they sort of just skim over all that? Yeah, I mean, he he only will appear the age. And I, I guess it's possible Jeff Bridges or Kevin Flynn only appears older because Flynn knows how old he's supposed to be in real life. So he's kind of chosen to appear in a form that uh, that is aged because um, may maybe you don't age at all in the computer world or maybe you age normally. But, you know, according to the Earth timeline and not the computer clock. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, this version of, well, uh, I should say the Kevin Flynn in this film, Jeff Bridges from the original Tron, uh, he is hundreds of years old <laughs> and, uh, that's why he's just so odd, you know, when Sam first encounters him, he comes yeah, off as, kind of... yeah. But he still uses like the vocabulary of the 80s. So he's always like, come on man like he he kind of talks like he still has held on to that part of him from eons ago um which I thought was funny I don't know if everyone thought it was funny but my <laughs> husband thought it was kind of annoying but I liked it yeah his the dude persona from the big Lebowski <laughs> yeah. uh yeah because because he's kind of a bohemian I guess you know, you get that with a lot of these tech gurus, the Silicon Valley types. They're they're very, uh, you know, laid back. They wear you know sneakers and sweatpants to to work. You know, just the whole um, tech bro <laughs> vibe. And they they do shrooms. They're into you know mysticism, all that fun stuff and uh and so wear yeah t-shirt every day <laughs> yeah he's held on to that. and like he meditates to calm his nerves and maintain his sad sanity on the grid uh, and he wears the, the coolest robes i i, I would totally I do that outfit. i would I totally <laughs> do that too if i i the whole time and like i said earlier in the recording it's like he's kind of living his best life out here you know and yeah. i thought I didn't know that there was going to be some type of 
I guess at the end, there's a romantic element, I would say, between Sam and Cora. I didn't expect that. Um, but he, I mean, he has Cora out there too. He has this Olivia Wilde, like he has this beautiful woman living with him. I mean, I'm sure he misses his wife, but Flynn's living the good, the good life out there. Yeah. And he's gone, you know, full Jedi, you know, which, yeah, I would have to do that if I was stuck in a place like that, I think. Um, you know, it, yeah, the whole, you know, he, uh, a master apprentice. I mean, there's nothing un unseemly there. I, but No, no. But I, in the yeah. back of my mind, I mean, but don't you feel like Sam and she or Cora, they have at the end there's some type of like love or do you feel that sure. when she's on the motorcycle riding off into the sunrise or sunset um well yeah i mean they have uh a certain bond from their adventures together and then connection through kevin but also um they're two beautiful people i just uh, <laughs> they are two beautiful people olivia yes. Wilde. i mean the bone structure oh my goodness she she i know a, and they do this amazing yeah. makeup on her to sort of like circle in her eye like this cat eyeliner i mean all the women featured in this movie are are beautiful but there's really not it's definitely male dominated in the actor category but sure. early on there's four women in white that sort of dress sam for this yeah battle game which i guess is sort of like this world's like entertainment um <laughs> yeah but, like the video games from the original tron yeah yeah but they're they're really beautiful that scene i thought was interesting because i had recently watched um i don't know if you've seen the movie artificial intelligence um okay. I, yeah no I, I somehow have not Dude seen laws in it yeah. um it's great it's a really good one but there's a similar scene of these battles of games destroying each other, sort of like, yeah, good games style, you know. Um, um, well, yeah, there was, I mean, even on like uh, cable TV, you know, there have been robot combat shows over the years. Uh, was it called Battle Bots or? I mean, what, what were these called? <laughs> of the original Robot Wars. Sort of go off on a tangent. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just you know gladiatorial combat having kind of an oddly you know prominent role in the society. <laughs> and their suits didn't really protect them all that much because they'd get hit by the disc and they would just completely obliter obliterate. One thing I had read when I was sort of going behind the scenes is like the suits that the actors were wearing. Mm -hmm. I guess they were all fitted with this little tiny lithium bat battery that would embed the light strips essentially. Yeah. But each battery, because it had to be so small, only lasted 12 minutes and then it would have to be replaced. Yeah. So in order to like maximize the output, the light strips had to be like switched on right before filming and then switched right off again. And like they were really, really fragile. So like the actors couldn't sit in these outfits they kind of had to like <laughs> lean against the wall if they needed a break so for as high tech as these costumes come off or these um battle suits this armor in real life it was like a little child's craft project like falling apart at the seams but it looks awesome it looks very high tech yeah the, the suits i can't imagine they still have that problem today battery technology has come a long way since uh since 2010 a lot of things have I mean, this this movie is probably quite prescient. <laughs> in, it, uh, to me, it holds up really well. A lot of people were joking about um, Jeff Bridges. Like, he looked like he was from the Polar Express. Like, the CGI was so bad. Blah, oh. blah. And to me, again, I watched it on the smaller screen. Mm -hmm. I thought the CGI was fine. I thought, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a techno snob. Like, I'm not a CGI person. But I, I thought everything still looks really good 13 years down the line. It holds up. A lot of it looks really good in the grid, especially. And then there are those flashback scenes where they do apply a, a fairly conspicuous filter, I think, just to they, they probably did save on rendering costs during those flashback sequences by just uh, choosing to to put a filter over everything uh, to make it, I guess, look like it's more a more primitive computer world. Um, yeah that's true it did kind of look like um <laughs> one of those facebook filters you put over your video like not sepia but yeah or almost like a, or something. yeah like they're trying to make it look 8-bit you know like a you know more of super nintendo style or something uh but like the 
the there is you know shots of jeff bridges in the real world in the beginning um where it's his cgi you know they start from behind uh, you know to not you know to to blow the whole effect right away and then you know you, you get to see the full full glory uh re um uh reconstruction of of his 1980s self in cgi his face and uh i mean there's a little bit of uh yeah polar express quality to it but i mean it's it's mainly just when it the way it moves that's just the hardest part you can't really uh recapture you can't replicate you know how a human face moves perfectly in cgi still like even when they try to do the the um harrison ford um de-aging effect in in the latest indiana jones like there's still moments where it looks artificial Um, but yes it still frames look look pretty good yeah, I, I it's nothing that it would nothing that pulled me out of it completely. The yeah. things that they're able to do now, I mean, this this is an off town gym, but anyone who's like into baseball, like now there's an option to watch the baseball games with a VR helmet and you can sit in any seat in the stands and watch the game live hmm. through V V the stuff they're doing with technology, like what I'm trying to say here is like it's advancing so, so quickly. So the fact that 13 years has passed and Tron still looks pretty good mm-hmm. is is a blessing to us all because I it didn't bug me the way it bugged some people on Rotten Tomatoes. I People are so um, susceptible to their preconceptions too. And a lot of the complaints are just the placebo effect of knowing that that isn't what this person looks like because he's aged since then. So it's tripping something in my mind that's saying, oh, this isn't right. That actor looked like this maybe 28 years ago <laughs> or 20, you know, um, but uh, but he looks like the dude now from the Big Lebowski. So this can't be right, you know. So, but yeah, there it's a combination of that and the, the CGI um, plastic key quality that um, get, leads to some um, dissonance. Yeah, it's your brain just not allowing you to fully yeah. believe or fully immerse because it's like, no, I know better than that. I'm not going to be tricked. Yeah. Um, some of these shots I'm seeing on the trailer, you know, it's clear that it's a CGI face, and and I I think it works better when they're in the virtual world because these this is all a virtual reconstruction of everything. Uh, to begin with when you watch it in theaters 3d is the 3d basically exclusive to when they're in the virtual reality like do they ever use the 3d element when they are in the real world yeah that was that was fascinating they uh were insistent upon yeah i mean i don't know whose decision director joseph kaczynski or um some of the technical supervised on the film decided to only utilize 3d when they're in the grid um on the grid in the grid on the grid <laughs> um on the grid and uh yeah the, the there was like a little um disclaimer at the start of the film oh uh that said you know the um the the sequences set in the real world you know are are not in 3d as Wait a intended. minute. Does that mean you had to take your glasses on and off throughout? No. The- oh, uh, good. That would have been really distracting. <laughs> yeah. The, the and there are moments where the aspect ratio changes. Did you ever notice that? Um. If you give me an example from the movie, I can probably remember it. But no, I, I don't. It doesn't. Not yeah. Much. Yeah. Typically, yeah, for action sequences and stuff, it would go from uh, the letterboxed, um, kind of more anamorphic wide angle uh frame to filling the entire yeah screen of your television um and and that was like the imax component of certain sequences being shot for imax 
I wonder if they switched that when they made it like D- Disney Plus friendly because I did not notice any of that, and I feel like I probably would have. It's you. You have to kind of watch for it. I don't know. Yeah, sometimes you don't notice it. Um, but yeah, yeah, sometimes sometimes you do have the black bars, and sometimes you don't. It doesn't bother me. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm sure the same probably applies to my blu-ray but I, I did watch the disney plus version this time around um because I, I think the disney plus version is you know technically 4k uh, and then my blu-ray is not quite uh that, you know that's uh what 1080p or whatever uh you want to have the full uh visual Majesty. Right. <laughs> I was the, hoping that they'd all fall into the sea of stimulation when we'd, we'd find like a whole nother like digital world underneath it all. Um, yeah. And I would love to see that too. I, I was like, wait, stimulation, like maybe they should go into this ocean and see what it is. But I guess it, do you know if there's anything down there? <laughs> Sorry, that's off topic from the switching from the 3D, I mean, but. Yeah, there very well could be. Sim- yeah. This is a simulated such world. A cool name. I mean, the um, sea is this big, big thing. Uh, I, I think that's more of just like a, a moniker ascribed to the the ocean-like expanse surrounding the land masses on on this world, because uh, it's all a simulation. Uh, but right. I, the the sea of simulation has a nice ring to it, um, and then the fact that yeah, like the whole. <laughs> haven't even brought this up yet but isomorphic algorithms these oh, beings yeah. that manifest out of the simulation out of the grid they just arose organically yeah <laughs> in, in, a, in a simulation which was really strange yeah i had questions about that when you first hear about them when um kevin flynn is sort of telling the tale it sort of looks like what I picture in the Bible when all the people cross the Red Sea. There's this sort of like crowd of these ISOs. They're sort of lit up. They're walking in this big mass towards towards them. And I, I wanted to know more about that. And they did talk a little bit about the like the genocide of the ISOs and how Korah was the last one. But yeah, how how did they come to be? I feel like they got to gloss over it by saying they just sort of the elements were all in the right spot and boom, like here they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is where you get into like the real heavy philosophy and, and metaphysics of the, you know, the, the creation allegory, um, you know, the ghost in the machine, you know, what is the essence of the human of the soul? Uh, and, and even just a mere, premise of these movies where you can go into the world of the computer and interact with anthropomorphic versions of computer programs that already creates this weird problem this dichotomy of like well computer programs they're very primitive they're written you know maybe a few lines of code by a user by a programmer what why would they have these avatars that are as you know infinitely complex as you know a human being like they they look like human beings um these the programs in the tron world once you know flynn gets zapped in you know in the original and then he's interacting with these you know quote unquote programs but they seem to have personalities they seem to have intelligence that goes beyond just mere lines of computer code that were yeah. if Cora is a good example I mean then technically they have emotion because she's she's bonded to Flynn she's creating a connection she can be deceitful like Mm -hmm. they're very well rounded I don't know what the right word is man now my brain is starting to turn off on me no no um, it's it's it's, yeah it's curious because like I said I had just seen AI which it's that question of like Mm -hmm can they learn to love, you know? And you start, you do have that whole question with this, this mass of people, which I mean, they've sort of disappeared from the landscape, but my assumption would be if they, if they turned up organically, they're going to come back again. Right. Maybe. There'll be more of them. What if there be? <laughs> or where, where do they come from? Yeah. Um, may, maybe now that they got rid of that initial batch of ISOs, the, algorithm the creator 
well, the, the creator algorithm, I mean, that would be sort of Flynn, but maybe he's just kind of the the vessel. Uh, maybe there's a higher creator, you know, a God, if you will, or some some other higher intelligence that is is the true creator that's responsible for the ISOs being allowed to manifest in a friendly environment for them to do so. But once that environment turns hostile, then they will no longer uh, manifest or arise or get. No, there, there will be no more Christ figures immaculately conceived in a world that is just too corrupt for them to arise. I mean, very well could be lots of unanswered questions. Maybe they could do instead of like a third movie, they could do a I love a good what do you call it when it's like a prequel or like they kind of go back in time and try to re-explain something like why why did these isotopes or not isotopes these isos come to begin with like were they fleeing something were they looking for something like what what brought them were they looking for flynn is he this deity and they're like he's our god we want to worship him like i don't know yeah they, they might have their own backstory um as beings um i mean something as sort of uh, abstract um or obscure as is like uh whatever beings inhabit the world in the latest Ant-Man movie, the quantum media, and they go down into the quantum realm, this, you know, sub microscopic dimension of space and time, or is it outside the boundaries of space and time? You know, that's perhaps more accurate. And, but it's inhabited by all these curious denizens who have their own personality and identity and backstory uh, where did they come from? You know, so it's a similar thing with like the ISOs here and and why do programs have intelligence when there are only a few you know bits of code uh, in, in our world? Um, so, I, yeah, a lot of, of kind of cool concepts that go beyond just the, um, you know, the basic um, fundamentals of of computer logic, <laughs> you know, cold logic. Um, and then but rather you know our sort of in this definable or undefinable essence as as humans gets reflected in the things that we create the things with which we interact kind of like the toys in toy story you know our, our essence gets infused with these these things that now have uh, <laughs> a life of their own yeah they become more than they are but not necessarily just because of what they get from us. I mean, another question that pops up in my head now, this movie has me all these questions, but Flynn doesn't know about Wi-Fi. Well, he he's not aware that Wi-Fi is this common thing used in the mm -hmm. real world. Yeah. And man, if Clue had known about Wi-Fi, their plan could have been really expedited or like if they would have found a way to harness into that tool of this worldwide internet, the things they would have been able to do. So even though they are like very smart and intelligent and have these plans, there's so many things they do not know. I mean, Wi-Fi would be, if they have that little pager, there's clearly no one on the outside world keeping them filled in on, on what's happening out there. So that's maybe what they, what he would have had to do. Um, you know, had he eliminated uh, the Flynn's and Cora, um, you know, Tron not, you know, turned on him. Clue might have had to have gone uh, into the portal first and then connect the grid to the outside world, you know, via Wi-Fi or, or probably more, you know, safe to, to do a, a hard line <laughs> Ethernet connect, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, just a little more bandwidth probably that way. Uh, but like, you know, yeah, if yeah. you're sending out hundreds <laughs> and thousands of um military people you're probably going to want to go into the hardware not just yeah. trusting the wi-fi yeah so he'd be able to you know use the laser to to um transmogrify himself into the real world and then you know maybe and then connect the, the world to the grid and then maybe like they could send through uh, uh more portal devices or 
um, tra trans uh, transporters, tra teleporter things. Because in in Tron, they have like teleporters that are able to move people from one place to another on the grid. Um, so so maybe he, that kind of technology could be brought into the real world to uh, to transport the army of um, uh, rectified programs. Uh, so that they yeah, can that's take over right. <laughs> he can't create them. They've been like brainwashed. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of just kind of wild theories and stuff, but speculation on my part. But I, yeah, this has been fun to kind of get a little bit hype for something that is kind of obscure in in terms of fandom, and maybe that's part of why it appeals to me. You know, this isn't a franchise that's been beamed death by adaptations and various um you know interpretations by you know numerous creators and yeah it does, there's not yeah. 500 spider-man movies out right now <laughs> i'm happy that there's only a few trons you and bridget were yeah. talking about you know discussing another spider-man and it's like i pulled up you know spider-man 20 from the 2020 there's like 600 results of different spider-man things happening and little kid shows and all these renditions so I, I think it's cool that Tron is sort of a legacy onto itself you know that makes yeah. it very unique there's an yeah a huge you know mass population of fans many of whom are you know kind of overly attached and frequently toxic and you know have the ability to kind of uh <laughs> i don't know perhaps overly intrude upon the creative integrity of the franchise itself um but at the same time you know something like star wars all which will always be near and dear to my heart and that's the it's the biggest franchise of all time apart from like the the shared universes of the various comic book empires <laughs> dc and marvel uh, but yeah, Star Wars, like, you know, it's it's such a world unto itself in terms of its scope uh, of of disciples of. Um, yeah, you're trying not to devotees. use devotees. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a cult, you know, yeah, <laughs> but, but a huge one. <laughs> definitely. So like, it's probably one of the more successful cults, because oftentimes those burn out after a few years. But this movie does have its own little cult following as well, which yeah, it, it kind of makes me disappointed to hear that the third one is canceled. Well, that, I'm not part of this cult, but for the people who do want to see the journey live on. But what is fun about not having a million movies is you can let your imagination fill in the gaps. You can ask these questions and sort of ponder them to yourself um, how we did tonight, which I don't know, makes it a, a really special experience on its own yeah um if this movie is style over substance then <laughs> it excels in, in such a manner but i i feel based on our conversation today um you know we've demonstrated that you know you can delve into much more of the substantive uh, side of what i think these stories are trying to communicate um if you you know so choose um that's yeah, what the podcast is all about there we haven't like, the child stories to things like this is like there's always something more when it comes to telling something like yeah this. yeah i don't want to use up too much more time but like yeah we haven't really i guess talked nearly as much about the visual aspects of this i mean spectacular visuals yeah. honestly that's all i'm really needing to say they were I did say they were seamless, but yeah, we didn't talk too much about the way that they use it in this movie to create yeah. such an, a depth to a world. Briefly brushed on kind of various action sequences of which there are quite a few. I mean, the the whole like uh, aircraft chase at the end is is just ripped straight from Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope. You know, the you, I, if you have only seen that movie have you even do you recall seeing the original star wars the only the one i've seen is with jar jar binks and i think that's like the third one okay or maybe he's in all of them i guess, I guess i'm not sure yeah you know the, the original 1977 star wars the most does it start with a snowstorm <laughs> that one does not oh. uh but 
the literally the most influential film of all time. So, I mean, I, I'm kind of impressed by anyone who has not seen it. They've probably seen clips here and there, but who knows? There's, you know, now, um, you know, 11 plus films and counting. Um, so you might have seen clips from, from any one of those. Um, and and so, like, th yeah, there's a sequence where there's they're escaping the Death Star and then there's, um, you know, ships being sent off after the Millennium Falcon, the getaway vehicle. And and they're attacking like, uh, you know, with their lasers and their uh, two of the characters have to get into laser turrets to fire back at them. So, yeah, it's like a whole aerial combat sequence that was directly lifted for, for this film. But, you know, hey, uh, steal from the best. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say inspiration is everywhere. Don't feel guilty if you use it a little bit. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I even though I haven't seen that movie, mm -hmm. I can see from what I know about that movie, that that would play a role in the design for this as well. Oh, yeah. Like the original creator of, of, of Tron, Steven Lisberger, I think was heavily influenced by George Lucas. Um, you know, not only his aesthetic uh, and, and storytelling sensibilities, but also just the uh, franchise development of, you know, this, this massive uh, mythology. Um, I think, you know, Lisberger you know would have loved to have seen tron evolve into this you know greater thing uh, that that would have taken on a life of its own and it has to some extent but you know <laughs> compare that all to the building blocks yeah to have become something like that i mean obviously the extent obviously not but there are the pieces there if you if there was this gigantic following where you could have built out and out and out and out yeah. continuously especially when you're in a in a totally different different world certainly yeah uh, of course uh influential uh con contributions from you know wendy carlos was the the composer of that original film now you know inheriting the role as composers daft punk themselves in the a flesh. lot of daft punk yeah <laughs> i mean they get a lot of screen time too uh, their names are Guy Tomas and, or no, uh, Tomas and Guy Manuel, I believe. And they, their last names are kind of confusing. Um, see if I can, <laughs> their, their real names are kind of buried deep within the credits, uh, because they always just go by Daft Punk, but you know, whatever, they're, they're ubiquitous, uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I'm no longer together, I don't think, um, let me just uh punk split um punk split thomas bengalter uh reveals reason for daft punk split uh <laughs> with what does uh, it say? and then and then the other one's name is uh guy manuel de homem cristo and i'm sure in the native language that it's uh it sounds much fancier than that but uh <laughs> uh, hung up their mechanical man gear because of the advance of technology huh interesting so they they either don't like the advancement of technology or they couldn't keep up with the advancement of technology but they definitely made their mark because their sound is very memorable very unique and and they nailed this movie the music was perfect throughout yeah they i mean they are the identity of this film the identity disc so to speak uh and and their contribution to music um you know has made nearly as indelible an effect on on our world as it has the world of tron um yeah that, that what was it uh get lucky you know it's everywhere uh-huh uh, yeah all, all the uh yeah, uh, one more time, I'm going to celebrate. <laughs> All right, um, let's see. They, they, they said, we tried to use these machines to express something extremely moving that a machine cannot feel, but a human can. We were always on the side of humanity and not on the side of technology. Um, as much as I love this character, the last thing I would want to be in the world we live in 2023 
is a robot. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So this huh. this from Billboard uh, quoting uh, Thomas Bengalter, uh, one of the Daft Punk members. All right. Um, and and then yeah, like the visual stylings of the artist Mobius and uh, futurist uh, concept artist. Uh, Sid me I mean they're both you know kind of futuristic concept artists in their own right but Sid Mead you know was more the uh like ships and, and motorcycles and um uh Mobius Jean Giraud was more like the like the costumes and the creatures characters that kind of thing. yeah of the costumes mm -hmm. so uh that uh will essentially virtually uh you know wrap up some of this uh tron talk uh, that'll do episode. kid that'll do <laughs> sorry th thank you just jody for indulging me i know i've been uh you know, no <laughs> if anything i feel like this this was an exciting one and like i said it it's geared me up for the day that i can ride the roller coaster in magic kingdom tomorrowland mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like now, I, now I've earned my seat on that ride because I've got this chance to sort of really dig into Tron and, and what it's all about. And like I said, it's it's a it's a can't miss for people who like this genre. So I'd give it I'd give it an eight out of ten for those who are on Disney Plus and ha had heard bad things. And yeah, 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 like it's good. This uh, yeah, uh, a pertinent point here, but um the billboard article uh, titled more human than robot thomas bengalter reveals reason for daft punk split uh, and then the, the log line underneath it says uh, go ahead and blame ai <laughs> oh. by uh by gil kaufman uh yeah so ai you know this this movie kind of predates our modern rendition of ai but i i think the original tron perhaps even more so embodies some of the the fear surrounding ai you know the the kind of envisioned and imagined threats that ai could one day pose with the uh, you know militia the uh, sinister mcp in that original film you know end of line um <laughs> and and that was a far flung yeah that that was very much a fantastical um conception of artificial intelligence back when that movie came out in 1982 there was nothing nearly that complex you know, unless there was like alien technology that that we didn't know about at the time which there probably was <laughs> in the government who knows yeah uh, we'll find out about that next week when the congress opens up their next topic for the citizens to hear about ufo yeah. sightings and uh alien intelligence yeah advanced ai um but yeah now nowadays we do have AI that that much more closely resembles the MCP from the original Tron, so it's it's much more of a, a prescient thing. Um, yeah, in, in this movie, there's that's not so much the conflict, but um, you know, the the entire ethos of Tron certainly deals with these these sorts of things. So, um, I don't know that it was it was definitely setting up. For more, I should say, with all the like boardroom sequences and, and Oppenheimer himself, Killian Murphy, uh, set up to be a future antagonist yeah. in the Tron franchise. Oh my gosh, we'll be losing out just so tremendously if he doesn't get a chance to return in his role for for Tron. I'm holding out on hope. Whenever a motorcycle goes into the sun at the end of a movie, there's going to be some some type of rebirth, just like those malls from the 90s philip we just got to believe <laughs> yeah i mean it'll it'll be hard to be interested if killian murphy isn't in the next tron movie or project um kind of like how like i really love the movie independence day but the fact that will smith wasn't in independence day 2 it, it totally killed the film <laughs> so you gotta you gotta do it right if you're gonna do it uh We'll see what happens. And uh, yeah, the I, I guess Jared Leto, I think, was attached at one point to a, a Tron 3 or Tron sequel, Tron Legacy sequel. But um, yeah, who knows? With like the way things have gone, Haunted Mansion and 
all, all the various other uh, live action flops. Um, <laughs> it's probably, I don't know, uh, it's best not to hold on to hope too, too dearly. Um, all right. What else can we say, Jody? Uh, any final thoughts? I think I, I think I threw my final thoughts out there. Just thanks for having me. And, and this was a good discussion. And now we're about to get into a spookier season. So hopefully next time I'm on here, we're talking about like Dracula or something, maybe scary or, or Spider-Man if Bridget yeah. gets away. We'll do whatever you want to do. I'm excited uh, to see what fall brings us. Tease something. I, I mean, I, we did our shining episode kind of back in the day. Um, I, we did the original Tron. That was episode 106. Um, you know, if you want to look back previously on the podcast. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, we kind of I'm kind of hoping to do something like a throwback to classic live action um, masterpiece cinema. Uh, one one of these weeks with uh, uh, covering something a little different. Um, but yeah, for now, uh, this has been the Thoughtcast conversations about animation. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Philip Elke. You can find the Thoughtcast at Thoughtcast on X and Instagram, Thoughtcast.com, various uh, podcasting uh, platforms, uh, SoundClouds, Stitcher Radio, I guess, if you want, uh, Spotify and uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Oh, we, we just got like a. Uh, our new logo which is awesome so that it's that was gorgeous. part of the inspiration yeah it's a the castle logo that's uh you know reminiscent a little bit of the the disney logo you see here um but yeah so 2010s tron legacy uh check it out and uh, thank you so much jody again um have a wonderful week uh, have a magical day and warm hugs